scriptures reading this morning will come from 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3rd chapter, verses 1 and 2. If you follow along in the Red Pew Bible, I think it's on page 1015. I'll be reading from the King James Version. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, may be won be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation, your chaste conversation coupled with fear. May God bless the hearers and doers of his word. Well, it is a great privilege uh, for me to be able to be here. I'm on, aren't I? Yeah. It is a great privilege for me to be able to be here in Katy, Texas. And I've not spent a lot of time in Texas in my life. Um, I've been a Dallas Cowboys fan as long as I can remember. That's for bonus points. But, but I really, um, at, the, at the hotel this morning, they had a Texas-shaped waffle iron, and that just kind of made my day. Uh, that I was, I mean, that's what I ate for, I wouldn't even want to, I didn't want to waffle, but I couldn't, I couldn't hardly pass that up. But, but can I tell you how great this weekend has been? And I have thoroughly enjoyed my time with brothers and sisters here at the Katy Church of Christ. Tim, you've done a great job leading us in our singing this morning. I really appreciate that. But, but anytime you get to travel, and I, I'm, I'm from, I, we live in Georgia, but I'm a Missouri boy. That's where, I mean, I grew up, all my family's from there. And, and anytime you get to travel to different parts of the country where, where, I don't know hardly anybody in this room. I don't know, I don't know different congregations. I don't know preachers, but, but you can come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Like we're, to, to understand, I'm just sitting there in my seat and I'm just thinking, we serve the same God. We serve and we praise the same God. My children are a day's drive away and they're praising the same God that we're praising here this morning. And we have the same Savior in Jesus Christ. And we're coming together this weekend because we're all people and we have all the same struggles, but we're striving towards the same goal together. Together, whether, whether you're here as a teenager or you're here been, you've been married for 60 some odd years, we're striving towards that same goal together as brothers and sisters. Guys, if that doesn't make you smile, you just haven't really thought about what I just said. That's just an awesome feeling and I can't help but be overwhelmed with that just a little bit this morning. So thank you for, for showing me that and for demonstrating that in, in, in our life. We've been talking all weekend about marriage, about how to have a better marriage, about how to, ha about how to be a godly husband, about how to be a godly wife, about how to grow, about how to stay in love, how to cherish your spouse, how to be one in Christ. And it's really been a great weekend because these are things that we all need, every one of us. And, and there are probably people who were here this weekend that looked at everything and said, yep, he's just describing my house, right? And the, but there were probably others who were, who were here this weekend and said, oh, 
oh, we're just falling short on every one of those things. And probably everything in between. I would imagine there are some who didn't come this weekend simply because you just didn't feel like your marriage measures up. It would have been too uncomfortable. I hate that because I want you to know there are no perfect marriages. Not in this room and not in this world. Not as long. I mean, I got a great marriage, but as long as I'm in it, it's not going to be a perfect marriage. Sorry, babe. Just, just to let you know. Okay? If you hadn't figured that out after about a week, uh, which I'm sure you did. But, but to understand, hey, we're in this together. And sometimes, sometimes our ideas of what the family ought to be or what the family is supposed to be, well, they can come crashing down in this thing that we call reality. If I was to make this statement, w- w- would it resonate with you? Um, everybody has family. You know what that means? You're kind of laughing, right? You're thinking about what you're married into, right? I know, right? Everybody has, and so is he. Everybody, everybody has family. And, and to me, the, the older, the older that, that, that we get, the older that we get, the, the, the more real that becomes. That, that, this idea that, okay, this thing is not perfect, it's a wonderful thing, but it's not perfect. And sometimes it's not just not perfect. Sometimes it can be heartbreaking. Sometimes I find myself in situations, whether, whether it's relating to my marriage or to my children or to my in-laws or to, or to the bigger picture. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden I say, well, how, how in the world do we get here? We, we just got through the holiday season where we got together with a lot of family. Did anybody, did anybody have one of those moments where you said, how in the world did we get here? And you, you tried to figure that out and maybe you even had discussions about, so how do, we, how do we improve on these things? You see, most people, whenever they go into the idea of a family or getting married, I, we, this is a picture I found online. These, these people probably aren't even real. But I, but I like this picture because you look at it and it's like, oh yeah, that's what the perfect family looks like. You know, I mean, he's kind of got that, that, that chiseled jaw and this beautiful wife and these beautiful blonde-headed children and this is, that's... You know, one day, whenever I get married, that's what it's going to look like. Did, did, did you ever have thoughts about that, about what it was going to look like when, when you had children? I used to think that whenever we had children, uh, when I preached in Illinois, that there, was a, there was a family that, that they had the, the, these three younger children. And every Sunday, they would all march in the back door, single file, and they would all sit there very quietly and take notes during the sermon. And I thought, that's what my family's going to look like. That's what they're going to look like. And then this thing happened. I actually had kids, Jordan, and they didn't do that. They didn't march in single file, and they certainly didn't take notes on the preacher's great sermon. Right? Unless I made them. Well, all of a sudden, what, what I thought was going to happen and what reality was, it became difficult. And we, 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 all, we all have things. All of a sudden, you realize... It's not just me and my wife. I also have in-laws, and I have great in-laws, right? But, I, but not everybody does. Oh, for some people, in-laws can be a real, a real issue in their life. But I thought I was marrying him, or I thought I was marrying her. I didn't know I was getting his mama as a part of the package, right? But sure enough, that's what you got. Uh, you, you, you know, all of a sudden, work, and, and, and you've gone through these things. I've, I've gone through um, times, times in our marriage when I didn't have regular steady work for... Seven months? Yeah, six or seven months. Do you think that had an impact on our marriage? 
Do you think that's what I expected our, our, our relationship to be? It was not. It was not. I took a, I took a job uh, picking up dead bodies in the evenings for the local funeral home. Just because you got to put food on the table as the man, right? Listen up, fellas. That's what you got to do, what you got to do. But I'm going to tell you, that's not what I had planned. That is not what I thought our marriage was going to look like. And, and it does, it's not just the lack of work. Sometimes people get so overwhelmed with all these great opportunities that they just can't say no. And all of a sudden, th th they're working 70, 80 hours, week after week after week after week after week, and they have a great job and lots of money, but they never see their family. Their family never sees them. Does that happen? Sure it does. You could probably put names to all of these things, maybe even your own names. And then th there's financial stress. There's stress that comes because you don't have money. There's stress that sometimes comes because you've been blessed so much and the great tests of prosperity that, that, that come upon us. There are children and children, whether we're talking about young children. I'm at this point right now where I have teenage children. And I'm going to tell you, it is completely a unique stressor upon our family unit. And I have wonderful children. They are a blessing from God if they happen to not be able to get enough of their dad's preaching and they're tuning in, unlikely. But, but, but if they are, they are a blessing from God. But I'm going to tell you, it's tough. It's tough. John, you got two teenage children, right? You got, you got good kids, I can tell that. Is it tough sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. He shook his head so fast, it was like lightning, right? Of course, I mean, these are, we all understand these things. Sometimes you get a, a, a nagging partner, and women nag, and men nag, and, then, and we don't show love, uh, differing priorities. You know what, all of a sudden, I thought we were on the same page, but, but he wants to go this way, and she wants to go that way, and, and, and what, what are we going to do? Right? We, we see this. I've seen this in a lot, in a lot of families. Uh, a lot of women who want to be, um, who, want, who want to stay home with their children. Their husbands do not want them to stay home with their children because their husbands want to drive a nicer truck. Right? I'm just telling you, they got differing priorities. They're going to have to work through those things. There can be rebellion. Uh, listen, when, when, when children rebel, sometimes even adult children, that's a stressor upon our relationships. And all of a sudden, that picture that was just like the perfect picture, your wedding picture, right? Where like, you, you know, your wife looks like a princess and you look like a prince. And, and it's just going to be this wonderful life that you're going to experience together. And all of a sudden, you realize, oh, it doesn't quite look like what I thought it was going to look like. How do I manage those things? And how do I manage those things without them impacting and destroying my soul? Because I want to tell you there's a direct correlation between your family and your spiritual life. You, you can almost mark it when you, when you see people that start having problems at home. It's almost, almost unavoidable that they're going to start having problems in their spiritual life. And vice versa, when you see people that are having trouble in their spiritual life, it's almost unavoidable that they're going to start having trouble in, in the home because those things are tied inseparably together. So how do we as Christians, as people that are try, striving to follow after the, the, the teachings and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, disciples of the one true living God, how do we navigate those difficult streams of, well, everybody's got family? Well, I think the very first thing we can do is, is understand the Bible's just full of examples like this. Turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Turn to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is the book of beginnings, right? 
we, we, we read about the beginnings of all creation. We read about the beginnings of a nation. We read about, about the patriarchs of the faith, the father of the faith. Uh, we talk about the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. That's the same God that we serve. So there are a lot of very important godly people and families in the book of Genesis. But several years ago, I heard someone make a comment that just kind of resonated in my mind. And they said that in their minds that, that the book of Genesis is not just about beginnings, but that the book of Genesis is really about dysfunctional families. Now, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Genesis from, from, from that perspective, but it's kind of really opened my eyes when I started to think about it. Because we say everybody's got family, right? Well, when you open the book of Genesis, you see some people that understood that probably better then we understand that. How far do you have to go before you have family issues or even marital issues in the book of Genesis? Not very far, right? Genesis chapter 2, you, you begin to understand. Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, you begin to see Adam and Eve. God places one man and one woman there and it's this beautiful picture that the only people in the entire world and they are made as, as that suitable help meet. They are made to be these complementary pieces. Isn't marriage a great thing? And one of the things we, we talked about, we'll talk about in just a moment, is that God intends marriage to be something that helps us spiritually. Young people, marry somebody who's going to help you get to heaven. Right? You find a man, you find a woman who's going to help you get to heaven. Adam and Eve were there to help each other bring glory to God. But then what happened? Where did this whole idea about eating the, the, the forbidden fruit come from? We could say it came from Satan because Satan was the great tempter in that place. But who was the first one? It was Eve. Adam... Adam was actually led away by his own wife. And then in that moment, in that moment where the good godly husband should have stood up and, and, and led his family, the good godly husband could have stood up and said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what are we doing? Because that's what godly husbands and wives do. They help each other in the process. You know what he did? He just took a bite himself. And we see the very first failing of God's intent for marriage right there in the form of Adam and Eve. That's pretty dysfunctional, isn't it? The, the, the very person that you married out of, out of everyone in the entire world, they didn't help you get to heaven. They helped you get kicked out of the garden. Well, you see it in their children, Cain and Abel. Are they, are they godly people? Did Cain and Abel go to church? Yeah. They made offerings just like, just like you make offerings. They, they worship God just like, just like what, what you're doing here this morning. But yet, God, but yet God accepted Abel's sacrifice that was by faith and he did not accept Cain's because it was not by faith. It made Cain so, so mad. You ever mad at your brother? You guys shaking your head? Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. Man, I'm going to tell you, there's not many people can get under my skin like my brother. Okay, I'm just going to be real honest about that. John, you feel the same way about your brother? Like, man, it's just like that guy sometimes, especially when you're young, right? It just kind of, Ugh! He got so mad, he killed him. He killed him. He didn't just get killed. He got killed by his own flesh and blood brother over an argument that they had at church. 
Is that a dysfunctional family? Yeah, that's pretty dysfunctional, right? You, you, you just keep going. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, a good guy or a bad guy? He's a great guy. He's the father of the faith, right? Genesis chapter 12, that's when everything starts to change. We teach our children at Vacation Bible School songs about our father Abraham, right? He's a, he's a, he's a very important person. Paul says in the book of Romans, he is the father of, of the faith. We are the spiritual children of Abraham. We are. Okay, let's look at his home life. I'm going to tell you what, Abraham had a pretty messed up home life. Do you know that they were out traveling? Well, they were out traveling and somebody asked Abraham, is that your wife? What did he say? He denied that Sarah was his wife. Now, ladies, what, what, how do you think that'd go over in your house if somebody says, is that your wife? And he said, well, we're related. How would that go over? That's what Abraham did. And he didn't just do that. He actually did that, and it wound up in his wife being added to, to, to some guys, basically to somebody's harem, because he wouldn't stand up and say, that's my wife. That's pretty messed up, isn't it? Ladies, that's pretty messed up, isn't it? Oh, it, 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 I mean, they, they, they were even more dysfunctional than that because they, they struggled with, well, they struggled with infertility. Is that real today? Is that a stressor? That's not a sinful thing, but, but is that a real thing? Of course it is. There have to be people in this room that this is, this is a great struggle upon your life and upon, upon your home. They struggled with that. And what was their solution? Sarah said, I got an idea. Why don't, since, since we can't have a child, why don't you go in and have a child by this woman, Hagar? And we read through that because we know what it says, but I'm just trying to picture that, that we're, we got a couple that's dealing with infertility and said, well, why don't you go sleep with somebody who's not your wife? How'd that turn out for him? It's a disaster, right? It's a disaster. We're still dealing with the fruit of that even, even to this very day. It's a dysfunctional family. On and on we, we can go. We can talk about, we can talk about Jacob and Esau. The, these two brothers, man, they had a messed up family. Because you remember, you remember that Jacob actually stole the birthright from his own brother? Right? We, we, we think about Jacob as one of the patriarchs because he stole it. Because his old, he, he wasn't the old, elder brother, but he stole it. And he, he went into his father on his deathbed and tricked him. And not only did he do that, his own mother helped him do this to deceive his father and to steal this from, from, from the eldest son. Could you picture, I don't know what the local hospital is up here, but, but if, there was, if there was somebody up here in the hospital and they were on their deathbed and they were, you know, I've been in the hospital before. Some people, they're, they're just incoherent. They don't really know what's going on. But, but they went up to the hospital and they got, they got their dying father to change the will so that everything would be left to them. What would you think about that guy? I mean, that's pretty low, isn't it? His own brother and his mama even helped him. It's so bad that, that Jacob has to go on the run. He can't, he can't even live here anymore because if he stays here, his brother, his brother is going to kill him. That's how messed up their family was. He goes on the run. Listen, he finds, he finds this great godly wife, but he deals with these in-law problems. He says, I'll work seven years for my wife. Man, in a heartbeat. It's like nothing because my wife is worth it, right? Fellas, I don't know if y'all amen here, but you could amen that one, right? My wife is worth it. And then 
after he works for seven years, what's Laban do? He gives him the wrong woman. Now, you may have in-law issues. I doubt you've got in-law issues like that. That, 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 that was his father-in-law. And then, and then after he works in another, he gets, he works another seven years. He goes into business with, 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 with his, with his father-in-law, with Laban. You remember what Laban does? Laban tries to cheat him. He can't even depend on his own father-in-law to do right by him. He has to, has to leave in secret. A dysfunctional family. Oh, we could read about Joseph and his brothers. Joseph have some interesting family situations. Can you, picture, can you picture at your next family gathering coming together and your brother gets up and he has an announcement to make? I'm picturing my brother doing this, okay? And, and, and the announcement is this. I want everybody to know that God has revealed to me that one day, brothers, sisters, you are going to bow down before me. Mom, Dad, you guys are going to bow down too. God told me that. Now, I know God told him that, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what that would, how that would go over, right? How would that go over? Jordan, if you next family get together, you just t tell your brothers, you, you tell your dad, your mom, you know, I think one day you guys are going to bow down before me. It'll go well? No, it's not going to go well. My, I, can, I can just kind of picture my brother. He <laughs> was like, over my dead body that's going to happen. Do you wonder why his brothers hated him? They hated him. Didn't help that his father loved him more than the rest. Gave him a, gave him a coat of many colors, right? Man, I mean, I, I know we, 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 I love all my children, but I'm not even playing this game about loving them the same. This is my favorite. Some people think that the coat of many colors was, this, was, was given to him to signify that he didn't have to work. I don't know if that's true or not, but it would make, it would make a little bit of sense. This idea that his brothers have to work, but, but Joseph doesn't have to work. You ever been around someone when you were working, but they didn't feel like they had to work? How'd that go over? Not so well, right? His brothers try to kill him. Oh, they don't kill him. His brothers sell him as a slave. Once again, once again, I've had some fights with my brother, never sold him as a slave into captivity. And not only do they sell their own brother as a slave, but they come home and they lie to their poor, grieving father about it. It wasn't just that they hated their brother. Can you imagine someone who would, who would go to a parent and say, just so you know, your son was attacked and he was killed and he's dead and you're never going to see him again. And then they just lived every day knowing the truth, letting their father grieve. I've seen, I've seen parents grieve over children. Some of you know what it means to grieve over a child. That, that's not something you get over in a week. That's something you take with you for, for all of your life. They let their father do that. And even Joseph, even Joseph, whenever, whenever they come to Egypt and, and he's going to rescue them, he does this thing where he messes with them. He doesn't, he did not always have the maturity that we see in chapter 50, okay? He, it wasn't like, oh yes, this is why I'm here and I'm going to, he messed with, he made, he made them think, I'm going to kill you because I, I'm setting you up to look like you're stealing from the king. He did that to his own brothers. I'm just saying over and over, and we, we could probably expand this even more, Look at Genesis can be this book all about dysfunctional families. And in those moments, whether you can relate to these things or, or, or worse or not as bad, in these moments, in these moments we have choices to make and, and the devil wants, wants to lie to us. The devil makes us think that, that in these moments I have to make a choice and that choice is between happiness 
and holiness. It's between doing this thing that, that, and responding to the situation in, in the only way that I think is going, to, is going to bring me joy and contentment and happiness or doing the thing that I know is the right and the holy thing to do. And people stand there and, and, they, and they, they strive to make decisions. And, and people say things like, well, well, God would want me to be happy. There's no doubt that following God in Christ is, is, is the true path to joy and happiness in our life. But the way that they're defining happiness is not the way God is defining happiness. They're defining happiness by following after the flesh, the way that Satan would define happiness. These are things that I want to do. Because, because as that's so often put, it is, only, it is thought that, that the only option is the sinful option. Some people rush headlong into the sin of adultery. Why do people commit adultery? They become self-deceived. Well, th things are so bad at home, and, and you, know, you know how she is, and you know how he is, and all these things that are going on, and, and, and I finally found someone who, who made, makes me feel so wonderful. I, I, I kid you not, I, I sat in a room just a little bit over a year ago, and I had a brother in Christ try to legitimately speak of his adulterous relationship as the will of God. It was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But here's what, here's what got me. He truly believed it. He truly believed that this was the will of God, that he leave his wife and his children behind for, for, another, for another person. That's the devil. That's the devil that's lying. It's not just in bad things, sometimes even in those good things of, of parents, sometimes parents who have children who are incredibly gifted, Maybe their children are, are gifted academically or maybe they're, they're gifted uh, th through athletics and they believe our life now must, res must revolve around my, my child's ability to play ball. And, and, and if we don't spend every moment and element of, of our life, then, then, then the, my, that child is going to resent me and I'm just holding them back. And all the while they neglect the church and they neglect spiritual development. Why do, why do people do that? They do that because they believe the lie that we have to do these things because this is the path, this is the path to happiness and they forget about holiness. Even before people get married and establish families, one of, one, I see a great desperation amongst many young men and many young women to have a godly spouse, to have a spouse. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great thing to, to, to want? I want that for my children. I pray for that for my children, right? I've been trying to get some connections, you know, understanding who's what age, even this weekend. My kids would greatly appreciate me saying that out loud. But, but, but that, that's, that's, that's something that, 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 that we look for. But can I tell you what I've seen as ep epidemic? I've seen many young men and young ladies in particular, young ladies, so I want you ladies to listen to me, okay? In particular, fellas, you listen, but ladies in particular, young, godly Christian women, faithful Christians who have abandoned the church just so they could have a man. They, they, they didn't intentionally abandon the church. They didn't think they were abandoning the church. But they wanted a man so bad that they bound themselves together with an unbeliever thinking that it wouldn't impact them. And now, they no longer walk with the Lord. I can give you real names. I can show you real pictures, but I don't have to give them to you. You guys can give, can give them to us also. Don't compromise those things. Don't say, well, this is the only way I can be happy. No, no, 
You choose holiness and you trust in the Lord. Now, it's not the purpose of the lesson, but I just want us to see how, how those things can, can, can walk us down that road where we feel like I have to choose between one or the other, between happiness and holiness, and the devil is lying to us in our ear, but we're believing his lies. Here's our, here's our responsibility. When you find yourself in a difficult situation, which you will, and you probably do this very day, you keep yourself holy. You pursue the things of God, the will of God for your life, and you trust Him. I'm thinking about very real people who have found themselves in situations where they were dealing with drug abuse. They were dealing with affairs. They were dealing with sexless relationships. They were dealing with rebellious children, not only in the home, but grown children. And these things became a great stress to their faith. And that need that they needed to be so firmly convicted that I will be holy no matter what goes on in my family. No matter what happens with my wife or with my husband or with my children or my parents or my aunts or my uncles, I'm going to do everything I can to, 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 to work towards godliness in those things. But I will keep myself holy. You must be convicted of that. I'm thinking of, nu of numerous, of numerous young, young people by young, I mean in their, in their 20s and 30s, who have sat in, in our living room with tears in their eyes and they have looked me in the eye and they said, I know all these things are going on, but I will not lose my faith over this. And this morning as we gather together on the Lord's Day, they no longer gather with God's people. They did not keep themselves holy. I'm not saying this is easy. It's not. It could not have been easy in, the, in those examples we looked at in Genesis. It is not easy in our lives. But this is, this is what we are called to be, to be holy as He is holy. Our, our, our scripture reading that this morning came from 1 Peter chapter 3, where, where Peter, by the way, I love the book of 1 Peter because it's all about righteous suffering. It's all about what do I do? What do I do when I'm doing the right thing? But, I, but I'm, not, I'm not being rewarded for that. Nobody's thanking me for being a Christian. As a matter of fact, I'm doing the right thing and I'm suffering for that. That's what Jesus did, right? And we're not greater than Jesus. But here he writes about a very, a very real situation. He says to wives, he says, I want you to be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word. So what kind of marriage is he talking about? Was talking about a marriage where, where, the wife, where the wife wants to seek God and please God, but the husband has no interest in that. Once again, I don't know everyone's story, but I would imagine that, that those, those are very real stories in this room. I would imagine that there are some women who are here that would give anything if your husband would be sitting beside you this morning, but he will not. And maybe vice versa. There may be men who are sitting in this audience who would give anything if your wife were sitting beside you this morning, but she will not. That is very hard. There are probably some of you sitting here together who you know that your husband or your wife has never obeyed the gospel. And what is holding them back, you do not know. But you're hoping that they're listening this morning. What does, what does Peter say to people that are in those situations? He says, I want you to be submissive to your husbands. None of this, well, I'll respect him whenever he deserves respect. No. That's not how that works. 
That's not what godly people do. He says to those who have husbands who are disobedient to the word, you be submissive. Why? So that they may be won by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and your respectful behavior. You keep praying for your spouse every single day. You keep striving, not nagging, but striving to, be, to set a great example and to, show your, and to show your husband, to show your wife what godliness really looks like. Because they will see, I would say about my family, they're the folks that have seen me in my pajama pants, right? Like you, you, you can't really bluff your family. They know. But sometimes when they know, they know that it's not, a, it's not an act. It's the real deal. It's the real deal. And when they see that, they say, oh, there's something to this Christianity. There's something to this faith in God that makes my wife different, that makes my husband different. Paul would write about, once again, mixed marriages in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Mixed marriages in the Bible is a believer and an unbeliever. Okay? It's a believer and an unbeliever. To the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, let him not send her away. We, we, we struggle even to know what to do with passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Because... In, in, in our minds, many times in the church, a believer and an unbeliever can, can live together perfect, perfectly, perfectly easily. But listen, if you truly are someone who is seeking the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, and you're, and you're coexisting with someone who's not seeking the Lord Jesus as, as the ruler of their life and the king as the king of their life, it's going to create problems. It's going to create problems. Now, if we're just talking about you going to church while I watch the ball game and then, and then we'll meet at a restaurant, that's not going to create problems. But when you, when you start saying, okay, I want us to take our hard-earned money and, and give sacrificially towards the work of the church, oh, that's, all of a sudden you've got an issue there. Oh, I, I, want our, I, want our, I want our life and our family to revolve, to revolve around the body of Christ, even though you don't want anything to do with that. That's going to create problems. That's what he's saying. It's possible, it's possible, he says to these Christians, that you may be married to somebody who's not a believer and they won't want to stick around. But if they do, he says, if they do, do not send them away. Don't send them away. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband, if he consents to live with her, let her not send her husband away. See, it goes, goes both ways on these things. Probably in this room, it, it, it goes both ways. Believing husband, unbelieving wife, believing wife, unbelieving husband. What is he saying? You don't send them away. If they leave, if they leave, well, that's on them. But you don't send them away. You pursue holiness. You show them something different. If you keep reading, if you keep reading in verse 14, in verse 14, he gives this rationale. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. See, he says that one of the reasons that God gave us family, he gave us the husband-wife relationship, he gave us the parent-child relationship, is, is to play a role in the process of sanctification. Sanctification is just that, that process of growing closer to the Lord, being, being the process of being set apart for the Lord's purposes. Th th there are things that help to sanctify us, right? The reading of Scripture, prayer and meditation 
upon God's Word. Well, those are things that ought to sanctify us. Uh, the, the, the idea of, of discipline in the church, the partaking of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. These are things that are that when we have these things, they are designed to help us grow in our faith. He says the same thing about family. That's God's intent. Don't send them away. Not because they're saved because they happen to be married to you. That, that would go against everything we read in Scripture, right? My wife's not going to heaven just because I'm going to heaven and vice versa. But... But if, but if my wife is married to me, listen, that ought to help her grow closer to God. And if I'm married to her, it ought to help me grow closer to, to God. And, and, the, and the children who are born into our home, it, it, it ought to help them grow closer to God simply because we are their parents. Not because there's something special about us, because there's something special about the God that we serve. The purpose of marriage is not just to live together. It's not just to enjoy life together. It is to serve God together. We have examples like 1 Samuel chapter 12, Eli, the great high priest, and these, these statements that are made about Eli. The sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. I don't know if there's much more depressing statements in all the Bible. Some of you know the pain of those statements. Godly homes, godly fathers, godly mothers, and your children do not know the Lord. That's not new. That's not new. We have, but we have to look and say, so what, what should Eli have done differently? And, and maybe he could have done everything right and it wouldn't have made any difference. But I think we look at examples like Eli and we say, oh, you should have said something, Eli. When your sons were up there and they were sleeping with the women who were coming and they were sealing up the sacrifices, well, why, why didn't you do anything? See, his faith didn't become generational and God, and God has designed faith to be generational through the family. That's God's design. That's God's intent. So when that doesn't happen, it means that there's something wrong. If you find yourself there, the answer is to pursue holiness. I can't compromise my own faith just because of my children's lack of faith. Does that ever happen? Do you ever see people, you ever see people that um, change their understanding of the church or morality based upon the bad decisions or the ungodly decisions of their children? You ever seen that happen? Yeah, I, I wish it didn't, but it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Uh, on issues like, uh, like maybe like marriage, divorce, remarriage, right? And understanding of Matthew 19, 9. I, I've known people who understood very clearly that, I mean, it just says what it says. The only reason for one to divorce and remarry is so in the case of sexual immorality. They understand that. They preach that. They teach that. And then, and then their daughter divorces her husband and marries someone who she has no right to. And all of a sudden their theology changes. Does that happen? Man, it does happen. It happens because they, they said, this is the only path forward for me. No, the only path forward, the only path forward is to remain holy. You must remain holy, whatever you face in regards to the family. Now, none of these things are easy. I want you to understand that as you struggle through these things, that you are in good company. You are in good company, and not just from the patriarchs, but even from God Himself. Uh, th there's a passage in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 4. Where it talks about it talks about our God, the Father. The prophet Isaiah says, "Alas, you sinful nation, you people weighed down with iniquity, you offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly, 
They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. If you're struggling with your children being rebellious, does God know anything about rebellious children? Does He know what that feels like? Whenever you pray to God, don't you want to know that you're praying to someone who understands? Isn't that why Jesus came in the flesh, or at least one of the reasons He came in the flesh? So that we would have a high priest who could sympathize with us? Of course. God understands. God knows. He's not, he's not making demands upon us that He doesn't even understand what He's saying. He has experienced that. He is experiencing that. <laughs> Sometimes we even get into the... the I'm, I'm going to meddle here, but we get into the qualifications of elders and, and, and the idea of having believing children, and we, and we make it so strict that not even God the Father would qualify to be a shepherd of the church. Our Father... By the way... Our Heavenly Father, who did... How, how much did He do right? Everything, right? I mean, I can look at my marriage or I can look at my children or my family situation and say, well, I mean, I wasn't perfect. I mean, I did some things I shouldn't have... God did everything right. His timing was always perfect. His motivation was completely pristine 100% of the time. But yet those who surrounded him still rebelled. We still rebelled. God understands those things. And he walks with us through those things. He believes in us through those things. Wherever you may find yourself to understand that your faithfulness is their hope. The devil's going to say, well, if you don't compromise on this, then, then, then you'll never be happy again. If you don't compromise on this, then, then, then your son will never talk to you again. Your daughter will never talk to you again. And this fear-mongering, Satan is wonderful at that. But, but we believe it. We, we get scared, and so we compromise in, in regards to those things. We compromise our holiness. And when we compromise our holiness, we take away much of their hope. We take away much of their hope. See, because when we deal with sin in our family, or and this could come back towards us, right? Not just talking about other people. What, what, what our family needs, what our spouse needs, what our children need, what our parents need, they need Jesus Christ. They need the holiness, the holiness of a divine God. And we are called to be that light in their lives, Right? We are to shine that light, the light of Jesus, into their lives so, so that they, like, the, like, that, like that ship that's, that's tossed in the sea, can, can come to the shore, can come to where they ought to be. But if we compromise, if we compromise, what are the chances that that, that, that light's going to shine in their life? I, I was talking to a, a family um, several years ago, and they had a situation. They were, they were Christian people, and, and their son showed up. And their son sh sh showed up one, one evening and he had his girlfriend with him. And they were wanting to spend the night. That was kind of the conversation that, that was there. What do you do? And, and do you tell your own son that you're not going to sleep in the same bedroom? And if you tell your son that, is he going to get upset? And is he ever going to talk to me again? And there's going to be all these things that are going to happen? So what do people do? What do people do? They compromise. They compromise. I know, I know of someone that I love and care for very much, godly people in the church that their daughter was getting married and 
they were coming to do some counseling with, with me and I started talking to them and their mother had gotten them a hotel room together. Together. So what, what, what do you think the chances are that, that, that they pursued holiness? You know why she did it. Well, I don't want that fight and, they, and they're already living together and all these things. Listen, brethren, we talked about it. I talked about it with that couple. I talked about it with those parents. They were embarrassed. They were ashamed, ashamed about those things. Hopefully we've learned some things about that. But my goal is for them to repent. My goal is for them to come to Christ. If, if, I, if, I, if I abandon the teachings of God, then what do they have left to come back to? If, if I get so busy with the, all these things over here, I, it's one thing for me to say, I, I, wish, I wish they would come back to the church. How can, I, how can I bring someone back to the church if I've left the church? I can't. I can't. And so what happens is people become very helpless in those moments. And they can't help their husband anymore because they've chosen an unholy path. And they can't help their wife anymore because they've chosen an unholy pass, uh, path. They, they, they can't help their children anymore because they've chosen an unholy path. You see how that works? And there's so much regret and I wish I could take it back and I really do want to help them. But I can't give you something I don't have. So the very best thing that I can do, the very best thing I can do for, for my wife, the very best thing you can do for your husband, the very best thing you can do for your children, don't you want to do great things for your children? The very best thing you can, you can do for your family is to pursue the Lord and His holiness. Not just when everything goes right. Man, I, 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 hope, I hope some things go right in your life. Some things have gone right in my life. I'm going to be really honest about that. I've been blessed in incalculable ways by the Lord Jesus and by my relationship with His church. But what about when it goes wrong? What about when Roman soldiers come and they put you on a cross? Even then, even then, you pursue holiness. Even when it costs you everything. Because when they put you on the cross, the world is watching and being changed by that faith. Here's our invitation this morning. They said there's no clock in here. I don't know how long I preached. If it was a long time, I'm sorry. But, but these are things we need to talk about. And I wanted us especially to put a capstone on this. You come back.